Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, member REPE shares his incredible story from bouncing between London and the US for his education to landing at a bulge bracket investment bank on the equity derivatives sales desk. Learn how he survived massive cuts during 2008, even when his bosses were trying to make him look bad, to why he jumped to a smaller bank, why he decided to go back to the US to get his MBA from Wharton, and what his passion is now. Enjoy. R-E-P-E, thank you so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. My pleasure, Patrick. So if you could share just a quick bio with everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I'll just give you a bit of uh, background on uh, what I've done so far with my life. Uh, so I was raised in Europe, um, came to the U.S. for high school, uh, then went in-state for undergrad. Uh, cost me next to nothing to actually attend in-state. Um, then I wanted to go back to the U.K., uh, and I moved to the UK for a master's, a master's in finance and accounting at the time. Uh, most people didn't do it because it was more than 10, 12 years ago. So it wasn't as popular uh, as it is today. Mm-hmm. Uh, from there on, I just joined um, a bold bracket uh, trading for. Did that for a few years. Uh, got poached by a emerging market bank. Uh, did that for another few years. Then got tired of it and decided that uh, my heart was actually in real estate. I had invested in real estate all throughout uh, my career in trading. And, and to do this move, a um, bit of a radical move, went for, to do an MBA in a top three school. Did said MBA, uh, did an internship in the, two, between the two years in uh, real estate private equity. Uh, graduating, went to another real estate private equity firm. Did that for two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, left just a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now I am trying to run my own deals uh, and see where that's going to take me and potentially, if it all fails miserably, go back and get a corporate job. But I hope that's not going to happen. That's great. So, so that's kind, of a, the background on me. kind of a long and winding road of uh, very non-traditional. So you're raised in Europe, went to high school and college in the U.S., transferred back to London for a master's in finance accounting, got into banking on the trading floor, then ended up as a head of... Um, head of a desk at another smaller bank, correct? And then kind of said, part, yeah. and then kind of rebranded, got your MBA to break into real estate private equity with no previous private equity experience, which is crazy in and of itself. But or, you managed, or M&A experience either. Yeah, no trading, M&A, trading no, program. and you managed to somehow break into real estate private equity. So that's, we'll get to that, but let's start just from the beginning. Let's start from, um, I guess, moving to the States for, for high school. What 
what was that like? Was that a tough transition culturally? And um, tell me about kind of college and what was what was your mindset? Were you like, I know I want to do finance and I'm going to go back. I know I'm going to go back to London or was it just a kind of kind of more certain? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, uh, for, for transitioning from Europe to the U.S., a bit of a culture shock. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the, the good thing about the, the U.S. culture is that it's, it's quite open. Mm-hmm. In that you you can make friends easily. Uh, relationships are um, not transactional, but you can show up at a party and no one is going to ask you uh, what are you doing here. Uh, right. Everybody is very welcoming. So it it was easier than I thought. Obviously, the language was a bit of a barrier. Did you uh, show up to I a lot of parties just un- un- uninvited? <laughs> uh, I did it a few times, uh, and it was it just worked. People just throw an invitation out there. You talk to a few people. They mentioned that something is going on at X, Y, and Z's house, and you just go. Um, the parents being strict, they didn't make it very easy a lot of the time, but it, it, it worked out. Made, made a good group of friends, still in touch with them. Cool. Uh, it was a, a s- s- suburban high school, so you can imagine. Uh, well, I, I don't think a lot of people can imagine why this, but basically everybody had two-car garage. Everybody was very happy, and most people were heading for in-state uh, mm-hmm. colleges. With, I don't think a single person going into uh, finance in, uh, on the East Coast. So how did you was even learn school. about? How did you even learn about finance? How did you even know about the master's program, and t- how did that get into your? Yeah, head? so a bit of a journey. So I just mm-hmm. just joined the uh, in, in-state uh, college. Um, there, it, it was just, it was a great school, um, but most people would just be hired somewhere in the state. Um, I mean, just for reference, I was in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, so did did that and uh, fell into finance. Did a bit of finance, did all the finance classes, accounting. Uh, started learning about jobs that were out there. Um, but to be frank, my idea of like a job in finance was to go work at uh, Microsoft or Boeing in the corporate department. Uh, it didn't, or a sexy job would be private wealth management in, in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, it only after graduating college a bit earlier, um, I, had, I had an accident uh, that basically took me uh, out of school for a bit. Um, so I was stuck in bed for, for a few months as I was laying there, semi-paralyzed. She not semi, I was paralyzed. Uh, fortunately, thing, things worked out in the end. <laughs> so I can walk are you, on both legs. Are you willing to but share th- what happened with that accident? Was it a car accident? Uh, no, no. So I used to uh, to do freestyle skiing. Uh, oh, and, boy. Um, I ended up, uh, well, Finishing a jump on my back, which basically did, did, didn't didn't um, do do a lot of good to my spine. Oh boy! And so that sent me to bed. But surgery got me out. Hundred twenty thousand dollars worth of surgery. Thank Jeez. God I had insurance. Oh my um, gosh. But yeah, so a lot of time to think. Um, and my my brother actually uh, was working uh, as a um, corporate lawyer mm-hmm. uh, in the in the M&A department. Mm-hmm. And he's the one who kind of told me that, listen, lawyers make X amount of money, bankers make 10 times more. <laughs> uh, so that, that, that kind of <laughs> sparked my interest. At the time, you didn't have a Wall Street Oasis website. Mm-hmm. So people didn't really talk about investment banking on the West Coast or if you, if you weren't, if you were just like in the suburb in high school. Uh, it was more something that you'd find in New York. Obviously, you had some investment banks in California, but it wasn't just as prevalent uh, the information you could get at the time. Of course, yeah. So it makes sense. I, I decided that I wanted to do a master anyway because most people in Europe do a master. I wanted to go back to Europe. I was a bit tired of the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, headed to the U.K. for my master's. What about your family? Did they decide to go back or you were just like, you felt like independent enough where you're like, I'm just going to go to London myself? Oh, it, it was just myself. My parents actually stayed back in the U.S. Yep. at the time. Okay. They've so you... since, since retired and moved back to Europe. But 
Okay. Uh, at the time, it was purely I just wanted to to leave, uh, go to Europe. Got it. Um, got my ma- got my master there, and during the master program, I think it was only a one year master, uh, and you had to apply if you wanted a banking job. You had to apply in the first two three months. You basically got on campus, mm-hmm. um, and there I, I I fell in with a crowd that was uh, quite pretty active in terms of application, and they're the one who told me that they were absolutely shocked at the fact that I was completely unprepared to apply for banks. Um, so they, they made me feel quite uh, un- uncomfortable and, <laughs> and put a lot of stress on me. You basically uh, so got there. That. You're competing with kids. You had summer internships the summer before in London, They correct? all did. So all you're, did. you're coming in almost in like a senior year with no no traction at all in London. How did you even start? And I know it's, it's, it's a little bit different in terms of networking in London. It's not like you can go in there and just network your way in. So tell me how, I mean, you were at obviously a great master's program. Was yeah. that, did well, that, was that enough to kind of get, is that why? Like you got enough first round interviews on campus or what, what happened? So I, I applied to a few places um, mm-hmm. and I had absolute zero uh, hit rate. No one would come back to me. Yeah. Uh, and it's, only after I went to a, um, uh, to a, I, I kind of had, I was a bit discouraged at this point, uh, and I thought that uh, when you had company presentation on campus, when all the V firms would come and present, I thought that was a bit useless. Um, and then a friend, I was in the library, I was just in a nice bright red polo, uh, he's in a suit, he comes over to me and he's like, listen, I don't want to go to this company presentation on my own, there'll be free food and free alcohol, why not to join? So that sounded like a qu- quite enticing uh, <laughs> proposal. I didn't remember. I didn't have a suit. I was probably the only one in that room without a suit. Uh, went there, and then the head of the derivative and structured uh, product department gave the uh, keynote speech. And when he just got uh, got down on that platform, I just jumped straight on him. And I started talking to him. I had traded options a bit on my spare time, really, with my dad, just that he was explaining me how it works. So I just tried to throw all the knowledge I knew and just questioning him and asking him about all the things he knew. Uh, even though I didn't know much, I, I made it sound like I did know quite a bit. So this conversation end, is actually like a pivotal conversation in your career and in your life. It just in is. In my life, in my life, it, hands down. Uh, so so tell, let's, I want to break that down because you, you, said, you said some interesting things there. You said, I just jumped on him when he got off stage. So you're in a red polo shirt. Everyone's in a suit, number one. You have the, I'll say you have the balls to basically go up to this guy after right after he gets out of there and just start, you know, almost monopolizing his time where other people are trying to get in. Yeah, so I had there was I just remember there was this one other student who was next to me, but who he didn't have much chat, and I guess like part of it he didn't actually know a lot about options, so I managed to really monopolize the time of that uh, of that basically uh, big MD, uh, and he only started talking to me uh, and. At the end of that conversation, I just remember that he gave me only his card to myself and not to the other guy and just said, listen, just send over and ask me what job you want. Uh, Why do you think you made that impression? Was, you, you knew enough about options just from trading them yourself. Like, how how extensive was your knowledge to go up and have that it confidence? Was like, it was very limited. Like, limited. you understood what, like, a put and a call was I and, like, that's it? it? <laughs> yeah, I knew what a call was. I knew what a put was. Yeah. And I, I had read, like, some guides. And I think, like, today... Uh, I think I would be a lot more prepared. I know for a fact that the guys you, you've been producing on your website, I've looked at a few of them. Mm-hmm. Again, this this knowledge was not available. But imagine like taking one of your guides and taking thirty percent of the knowledge on that and using that to basically uh, try to network and, and have a conversation with someone. 
But it's, uh, it sounds like you didn't even you didn't even you thought these things were useless. So why did you even bother go besides the free alcohol? Why why did you that then go? The only reason. You know, so you went there for the free alcohol, but then what kind of during the conversation? What prompted you to just be so aggressive as soon as the conversation ended? Because it's like, why did not why not just just up, go have a couple of drinks with your buddies? You know what I mean? Uh, because he was he was quite quite a high up MD. Mm-hmm. Uh, people kind of. Sh- were a bit shy of him. I mean, he had like his PA next to him as well, um, and was about to get out to basically leave the whole thing. And I was just like, "Well, this is this guy is, is a he's he's big in his department. He can make a decision. Uh, what he's doing is an area of interest. I, I had I had taken like a class on options in the past, and as I mentioned, I I was interested in, in that subject as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why it just it just felt natural in a way. Um, the other thing, and I think that comes to the difference between Europe and the U.S. In the U.S., and I've, I've seen it during my time at, in my MBA and my undergrad, mm-hmm. is people are a lot more uh, confident and aggress- aggressive when it comes to the situations. Here, we're like in Europe, where people are a bit more um, rank matters. You don't just go up to anyone and approach them. You don't just and go up to an like, MD, a senior MD, and start rattling off questions like you did. <laughs> exactly. Basically, and that's that's really the, the big difference it made. So the cultural, the American I mean, culture that had seeped into your personality somehow helped in this situation. In this situation, I mean, the help it's like it's a reason why I got the job. Yeah, uh, I think the and, and to, to be clear, the guy was not American. He was he, he, he was English. He went to Oxford, uh, very well educated. But at the end of the day, you know, it's he, he did like the approach I took. Um, and that's why he gave me his card, uh, which which I'm <laughs> very lucky for. Uh, and I always remember that moment because, as, as you said, it was life defining. Uh, and he gave what, what you the card. He didn't give the other kid the card, is what I remember from our from our chat earlier. Exactly. And so tell me and about the, yeah. like so yeah. this is this is like I think a lot of people will be interested in this because, especially in London, is a more aggressive style. Does it benefit you? Does it benefit you? You know, it's interesting that you said you were wearing a red polo shirt. I've had another guest on previously who had a very similar experience went to an info session didn't everyone's in a suit he's in like sweatpants or whatever it doesn't care <laughs> and he had been like studying medicine he started going up and like almost it, it, clearly a very bright guy starts almost grilling the guy and just rattling off questions and the guy gave him his card so it's something of where like if you can show your intellectual horsepower curiosity slash curiosity and stand out now now i'm worried everyone's going to go in sweatpants and red polos to these info sessions but like my point is my point is my point is it's not necessarily good to do that but having the confidence to actually interact and not interact in such a way that's like a try hard um where you're trying to like i I think that's very key and what you just said the the polo is more like a um uh kind of a, a, a reflection of my personality at the time so if i had been in a suit it would have been the exact same thing um and it's more that I had the confidence and I wasn't scared of what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's that confidence that really uh, attracted him because when you think about it, and, and I've been in this, then I was on the other side of the coin uh, going to all those uh, campus events uh, at my uh, alma mater in, in, in London and trying to, to recruit for the bank. Mm-hmm. You see so many kids that are just, again, tryhards, just uh, some of them are a bit arrogant, uh, just what we very remember clearly this one kid didn't have clean hair and had long nails, which was absolutely disgusting. <laughs> and that, that, he, so he stood out, but for all the wrong reasons. Like not basic uh, hygiene didn't apply. Exactly, and that was that, that's a big no-no. <laughs> Just to make that clear, yeah, uh, that is important. But so, but the, 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 
you said something interesting. Yep. You said they they were kind of some came across as arrogant tryhards. You you going in almost with the polo allowed you to be a little bit more. I, I don't know. It seems like it, it allowed you to be a little bit more aggressive. Do you do, would you agree with that? Like it almost mm-hmm. like you had nothing yeah, to lose. I think so because it it shows that you're not really in a way it it almost makes you want it. Like they start, they they want you. You don't care enough to dress for them. Yeah. A bit like in a relationship, right? <laughs> it's, uh, if you try too hard, yeah, uh, she's not gonna be interested in you. If you just act very cool, you don't really care about her, not interested. You you create some sort of dynamic where the person actually might be interested in you, and that's a bit the same thing. The guy shows me, you see me in Apollo. I'm not, I'm not. I probably have another offer, maybe with with let's say Goldman Sachs or God knows who. Yeah, you're not. In um, awe, you're not in awe of his seniority. In other words, in her his. Bank. Exactly, and, and and I think that helps because in this in this way, he's like, okay, well, the guy doesn't. He's not dying to get a job here. Uh, let me try to sell the firm. And a lot of the conversation that he had with me was him telling me about how great it was to work, right. and I would be asking him about about problems that uh, could could uh, could arise between sales and traders and how this is all being resolved. Um, yeah. Do you have any other examples he, of the things you talked about or things you said or asked him? So it's again, it's it's more than a decade ago. I know, I know. That's, that's but I think I do remember one question I did ask, yeah. and that one was basically, how do you manage the? I think it was, it's a bullshit question, but it, it still works. How do you manage the um, the inherent conflict between the sales and the traders with uh, on the trading floor? And so your delivery uh, must I mean, have been really good. If you felt like it was bullshit, did it come across as genuine when you asked it? I think it's the question itself is bullshit, and then it's how you're gonna how are you going to re- reply to his conversation and the follow-on questions you're going to ask. Got it. So the initial question is kind of bullshit because that's the basic question you, you ask all the time. Mm-hmm. So you need to be able to back out, understand exactly what that problem is, and then based on his re- response, try to find holes in it and try to push there uh, to have him a bit on the defensive, but not too much because you don't want to be too aggressive. Otherwise, you just uh, he, he's nothing a complete wanker and just yeah. uh, walk away. Right. So it's, 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 a, it's a just balance, I think, you have to, uh, to manage. Got it. Um, but definitely, uh, it, it definitely helped. I remember the the only other bank that actually did two other bank that did give me interviews in the end. Uh, one of them was Goldman. It was in a similar situation as well. Mm-hmm. I just it wasn't in a similar situation, but it wasn't with me submitting my CV. It was with me meeting people and just pushing like there was no tomorrow. Um, I think at the time a, a friend of mine was. Dating what do you mean by pushing? What do you mean by pushing? Like, so I understand meeting uh, people, but... like, and anyone who who had heard or anything with Goldman Sachs, uh, I would try to to get in touch with them somehow. Uh, and I, I I always remember like one of my uh, really close friends. She was dating like an associate at uh, Goldman at the time, mm-hmm. and I just actually you know, he was a VP. I gave her my CV. She passed it on to him. Um, he helped a bit. And I mean, it didn't go really anywhere with that one, but I just pushed. And the only conversation I really had was not by applying online. And again, we've talked about it early on just now is I didn't have an internship before going into banking. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, if, if I'm applying online, people are just going to look at my CV and be like, well, this guy is really yeah. not qualified. Yeah. I think a lot of people, they rely too much on like the resume drops, the online system, and because it's almost the easier way to go and you apply and you get rejected and that's... And then you move on. You say, "I tried." It's easy to do, you know, right? I tried. You know, I just they didn't online. want me. Yeah. Uh, versus absolutely I mean, taking the time to speak. You, with you and you and I can apply online any time of the day. It doesn't take any effort, really. Yeah. Um, going out of your way to make things happen is, is a whole lot harder. And I know, I know from the fact from my personal experience today, I'm trying to get some of my own deals done on my own. 
Yeah. You know, there's some days where I just sit on my ass and do nothing. Nothing's mm-hmm. going to come to me. I can mm-hmm. send an email. Nothing's going to change. <laughs> I have to go there. I have to find something to do. I have to find a buyer. It's like if you don't, if you just drop emails, nothing's going to come to you, basically. Right. And I think it's, it's the same thing in recruiting. So you so you join this bulge bracket bank and you're you're on a basically options sales desk, right? So what what was the decision between yeah, sales exactly. or trading? Like what was the what decided that? Um, so, uh, so on, on that one, it's also quite funny because obviously he gave me his card and told me like just reach out to me. I reached out, sent my CV, then uh, HR called me and basically asked me like what job do I want? Um, <laughs> and I told HR because they they created the position for me at the end. Okay. Um, I I spoke an emerging market language, uh, so she saw that and she's like, "Well, listen, we have an emerging market desk. Do you want to go to trading? Do you want to do sales?" And I told her like, "I actually don't know what I want. Mm-hmm. Uh, both sound good." So she said, "Well, listen, let's do this. We'll just have you meet um, the whole team, and we'll we'll, we'll see what you like most." Uh, and so I interviewed with traders, I interviewed with sell people, and uh, at the end of the day, they were like, "Okay, this guy's a sales guy." Uh, <laughs> we, we, we'd love to have him on the training floor but we need him in sales um, so they didn't say we'd love to have him on the training floor they just said we, we want him in sales do you feel uh, like that's just that, your personality because you, you're you're good at you know schmoozing and BSing a little bit um, and you just natural sales it's the gift of that. gab the gift of gab <laughs> they call it um, okay so you but I, I wasn't I, I wasn't to, I, I don't think I was a very good salesperson when I started uh, I think those the skills really grew with time um, I was I was quite awkward in uh, in in high school in college. Um, you know when you when when you're a teenager and you just get out of college, it's not like the world's your oyster and you you're, you're this uh, man of the world. Uh, so it's not like something I had in, innate in me. It's just I built it and like throughout that whole interview process, yeah. building that confidence through through every different interview. Uh, is basically what made them do that decision. What was the hardest interview you had? Um, so it sounds like this one, they basically just gave you the job with almost like not even an interview or they were just like, what job do you want? Or did you still have to go to no, the No, no, it was, so I still had to meet with 12 people in in the company. Yep. Uh, so the whole the entire team and anyone has a, a right of veto. I think on this one, it would have been a lot harder for them to say no because I was a direct recommendation from all of their boss. Right. So every single interview was more of a check. He's not a complete moron. <laughs> Uh, but, and the, most interviews you'll find out in banking, usually you have a pretty good idea of who you're going to hire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of those follow on rounds, they already have an idea of whether they, they know who they want. the job or not. Right. Uh, it's just like, don't be an idiot. Um, so how did I mean, you, how did you avoid not being an idiot? Did they ask you any technical, technical questions for like options they, questions? They did. I mean, okay. the, the toughest, toughest question were with the, the traders. Um, you know, you know, they grill you. Yeah. Um, and bottom line is, I, a lot of the technical question I didn't have an answer to, mm-hmm. uh, but they realized I had just done a master's, a master's. I had never worked on a trading floor, so they they also realized you probably won't be able to answer almost every single one of the questions. Uh, I think the more junior staff will try to ask you the, the toughest question, the yeah. more senior people will ask you more fit questions. Yeah. What about and, those fit uh, questions? Was it more like tell me your weaknesses, or was it generic, or was it why why are you interested in this company, or stuff like that? From no, so from the from the junior guys, it was more like uh, it would be technical. Uh, yeah. You're joining a trading floor at the end of the day, so they want to make sure you got your math right uh, and you know how to do two plus two. Yeah. Uh, from the MDs, it was more uh, general fit questions. What I like to do? Uh, talk to me about the market. Pitch me a stock. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are the more like qualitative and more fun 
fun question. I, I, I prefer to technical. And were you ready? <laughs> were you ready for those? Um, no, no. Uh, <laughs> so I, how I did you not look one. like an idiot? <laughs> did you have a stock ready? Yeah. <laughs> when they asked you that, or did you did you have enough practice at this point where you felt like you looked good enough where the recommendation from the senior MD was going to carry the day? No, I think the the most important bit is to show to them uh, and and be curious. So the thing I and I, I've I've mentioned a few people, and the thing I tell everyone uh, is, if you don't know, just ask. Uh, and you just as long as you're curious, then if they explain it to you, make sure you're able to repeat it to them because, and that's something I used to to, to use in interviews. Uh, mm-hmm. If somebody doesn't know, I explain it to them, and then I'll switch right back and be like, okay, now explain to me what I just explained to you. Um, yeah. And that's my interview style is very similar to what a lot of people do. Uh, so if you don't know something, try to explain to them. So if they ask you a question, let's say on, hey, how do you hedge your gamma? Explain to them what gamma is and be like, I actually have no idea how to hedge it, but I know what gamma is. This is what gamma is. Yeah. Um, can you help me explain to me the other bit? So to show them that you understand this part of the question. Yeah. Uh, and as long as you're not like a, um, a ball of complete sweat and stress because of a question you don't know how to answer, you should be all right. Got it. Fair. So you're there for several years, three years almost. Um, yeah, exactly. Let's talk yeah. about the transition. Why why move on and um, to a smaller bank? So, so tra- trading floors are quite interesting. It's mm-hmm. um, it's intense. Uh, people shout at each other, insult each other, but it's, it's it's very transactional. People understand when you move. It's more money. More money. More money. Okay. Uh, at the time, so all the balls yeah, are let's, the, you're, talk, you're gonna uh, tell, yeah. you're telling me about money now. I hope um, you're gonna tell me about pay at the bulge bracket and then what you got. At the smaller one, uh, yeah. So basically, the smaller one doubled basically what the bulls bracket was offering. And at the time, it was all uh, they were they were starting to give shares. I think now everyone gives shares. But at the time, it was new. Uh, banks didn't really offer shares. Uh, that's the post-crisis thing. Uh, so the smaller bank was like, "Well, we don't have shares because we don't we're not listed. <laughs> so right. your bonus will be paid in cash." Uh, that was a massive incentive. At the time, I had offers from uh, two other bulls bracket firms as well, mm-hmm. some of the best ones, uh, if not the best. Uh, and I said no to them because the pay at the smaller bank was a lot better and it was literally eat what you kill. Uh, to give you an idea, is I brought uh, more than $12 million of PNL to the bulls bracket banks I was at, mm-hmm. moved to the smaller bank, bring them like $1.5 million, and they were just like amazed at the amount of uh, money I managed to produce. Right. Because in the bulls bracket bank, it's assumed that you're making money thanks to the franchise, so you're just a cog in the machine. You're making money for the, the franchise, bank. for the franchise, but behind the name, right? You're not the value. Exactly. You're not the value. It's, yeah. it's, it's thanks to the name you're making the money. Right. Whereas in the smaller franchise, you know, when I'd be calling people, they'd be like, "Bank who?" Mm-hmm. Uh, it really, it's really the relationship you have built and developed, or are able to build and develop that matter. So you could be a really shit salesperson in a good franchise, and you'd do all right, and no one would notice your shit. Mm-hmm. But in the smaller uh, company people really see that basically it's it's really everything down to you so in uh, your, which I quite liked in your three years at the bulge bracket you were making what between 200 and 300 well 200 and 300 yeah, USD exactly. around yeah exactly that, that that's about right and so uh, then it jumped so around 500,000 at the once you're head of head of the desk exactly to the end and I wasn't even head when it, when it jumped to a half a mil uh, and you know when you're like 25 26 it's it's serious money. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of money uh, for right school. There's been inflation as well, so if inflation adjusted, it's even more. Yeah, I think everybody gets paid a lot of money today. Uh, but at the time, it wasn't the case. We had just gotten out of a crisis as well. So, 
yes for uh, people with recovering from that for that time um, it's unbelievable pay um so tell me a little bit about just the culture of this this new bank so the new bank was it was very interesting i think my my first or second week on the desk um two trade one of the trader was front running the other uh so they basically got up and had a fist fight on the desk uh which i had never seen in a ball bracket i'll be very honest the head of trading just like stood there separated them as if nothing happened everybody went back to their work it was it, it was surreal <laughs> the wild west the wild west so there's there's fist fights what else is going on at this uh this wolf of wall street <laughs> i think you you you, you there's quite, quite a lot um i think especially in terms of um not oh. me. Uh, I would never do something like that. But uh, a lot of people would would take their their card and their corporate card and entertain clients in a very good way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just let let your imagination <laughs> run. Uh, something that you clearly couldn't do in a buzz bracket, especially at the time. I remember, or budgets, we wouldn't be able to take clients out, and we wouldn't be able to spend more than a hundred pounds in the buzz bracket bank. I was uh, right. um, staying out in uh, in client entertainment, so it's about one hundred fifty. It was about one hundred sixty dollars a head, which doesn't get you very far with wine. Yeah. Whereas here it was like, well, if the guys paid us two hundred thousand dollars on this trade, well, feel free, entertain him, whatever, yeah, take him out clubbing, uh, does do whatever he wants. Um, and one of the reasons I left is the industry. Well, it's not the main reason, but another an reason of what uh, what happened in the industry. In a smaller bank, you kind of rely on like being really good friends with the clients and being able to like entertain a bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my last year there, they actually cut out our expenses completely uh, and aligned it with all the both bracket firms. Um, um, is there? You think there's a reason was, they did? They were trying to cost cut, um, and then because things weren't going as no, well. No, they were more like tr- trying to to go into the oh, we we don't want to be seen as. Um, Got they it. just wanted to be more like a both bracket firm, basically, mm-hmm. uh, which is silly when you're not. <laughs> <laughs> They're trying to tighten the reins to to be more professional. Um, or whatnot. Exactly. Uh, when exactly. the but sales determined. Exactly. decision. Um, so you you okay. started looking, I guess, once that started happening, or what else kind of was it just, um, was business growing well, up? In that particular market, I was uh, in, it experienced like another crisis, and I was a bit tired because I was already in my third crisis already mm-hmm. uh, on the job. Uh, I had to let go of a lot of people on my team, um, which was not pleasant. Uh, and then at the time, volumes were drying up as well. So my, my old bank actually was keen on hiring me back at the time, mm-hmm. uh, as well as another gold record bank. But I just didn't have the heart in it anymore. I think sales, you really have to, in, when you're young, you can really like have a lot of fun, but then it's very boring. So I had just let go a lot of people. You had been, enough, you had been clubbing enough in London to, uh, <laughs> you, had had enough, you had had enough bottles, bottle service to, exactly. for, for a lifetime. <laughs> Enough of it. No more. <laughs> no, but you, you, you're laughing, but it's true. Like I, I didn't actually enjoy going out to all those restaurants anymore at the end because you're entertaining clients at the end of the day, so you're working. Right. Uh, so even though, yeah, you can let loose a little bit, it's very exciting for the first few years, but then you're just like, I just want to be home. I don't want to be nursing a hungover. Yeah. And when you want to go home, you can't go home because it's when the client wants to go home, you go home. Right. And that's that's not great. They're out till like when, three in the morning. When, you're like, oh, this is killing me. <laughs> well, exactly, right? Because mm-hmm. like maybe the client can get go back to the desk at ten, eleven. I had to be back at the desk at six thirty-seven ish. Right. Uh, so you know, if if I'm out until three or four, I get one or two hours of sleep. It's just, I mean, I could do those things when I was younger. Today, no way I'd be able to do that. So tell me some <laughs> of the, the craziest any, cr- any crazy stories no from way. like taking clients out. 
that you remember? I mean, I, I can imagine yeah. just the debauchery. Yeah, and stuff there's like qu- that, quite a lot. I think for for the for, for this call, I might I might uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I might send them to myself. Fair enough. Fair uh, enough. But not to compromise myself too much. Yeah, that's but, fair. Yeah, there's, there's some a few things that yeah. Um, so let talk okay. to me. So it, it was wearing on you. You kind of like were you'd been doing this for now almost six years, almost seven years. Yeah, um, so seven you, years, yeah. you were trying seven to figure years. out what's my next step. So tell me kind of what the thought process was in terms of looking at yeah, what you could point, do. Yeah, at this point, like I'm like, okay, well, I've got the money, I've done it. Um, I can't quite retire on it, but I've got a house, I'm comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, this market is really slow. I could go back and do it in another bank, kind of like restart the franchise again because again I was only a, a mono market person so I would have had to rebuild relationship with people who look at multiple markets got it I was slightly burnt out and I had always loved real estate um, always did as I said invested on the side made a decent amount of money although you'd have had to be an absolute idiot and have made money from 2012 to uh, 2015 <laughs> uh, so that, that, that worked out well and I said well you know what this whole real estate thing actually sounds good talked to a few people, more like head of funds at uh, real estate private equity funds, and they were all like, Tommy, go do an MBA. Uh, we, we're probably not going to hire you now because you're coming as, you were the head of something with absolutely zero relevant ex- experience. Right. At least you'll be able to transition more easily. Uh, so here I go, on off to go do an MBA. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think so you, that got, was, you got into a top program, was, you got into top program and you're thinking, I'm just going to yeah. hop over to real estate private equity when I grad, when I'm done. Absolutely. <laughs> that's like a, a given I'd be able to transition, especially you now after like, I've talked to, to like some pretty big guys at Blackstone and just introduction from friends and reaching out to them when I was looking for jobs and they were like, oh yeah, yeah, just go do an MBA and and, and, and come back. Why do you think they uh, said that? Because to me, it's it's pretty well known nowadays that if you don't have pre-MBA private equity experience, it's it's incredibly difficult to get in post-MBA. Oh, it was ridiculous what they told me. Uh, it was it was insane. I think I was one of the only one person who didn't come from private equity who actually managed to get into private equity after uh, after the MBA. And you were in a top school uh, with a lot of kids going after yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. As I mentioned, like the it, it was a two-year program. Mm-hmm. Uh, you take 50% of every single student in a two-year program were part of the private equity and venture capital club. Right on campus, uh, and by the end of it, most of those kids end up in consulting or banking. Right. But if I had wanted to do banking out of my MBA, I probably I wouldn't have gone to MBA because I was already in banking. Right. There was no real point in doing that program. So I just fought hard to get into that private equity job. Um, I think the, the advice I got was from people who were older, who at the time MBAs were a lot less prevalent. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of the the thing you did, and because there weren't so many MBAs, you had a pretty good shot at uh, private equity. So tell me a little bit about uh, that. So obviously, when did you realize, wait a second, you're in your first, say, three months at your MBA program and you're, tell me, tell me when did you realize, wait a second, this might be harder than I thought? I think at this stage, so it didn't hit me yet. Um, it, it took me about six months to realize that. But at the beginning, you realize that everybody panics. And it's like, oh, shit, everyone's getting jobs in banking, consulting, internships. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people abandon the idea of PE or VC and mm-hmm. go and apply for those uh, for those jobs. Yeah. Um, and I was like, well, no, I'm good. I'm still going to apply for, for private equity. A lot of them have debt. Was, a lot of them have debt, right? You didn't have debt. You had capital. Yeah, so you were I, paying I didn't for have debt, which, which is quite it's a big plus. Uh, yeah. I think in that, exactly. In that situation, I'm like, well, worst case scenario is, well, worst case scenario, I thought I'd be able to get back into like a, a more like traditional banking job. Um, yeah. I was never really worried about it uh, during that time. Okay. Uh, but then it's when I started just getting 
rejection after rejection, uh, even after meeting people. And it wasn't, sometimes I just wouldn't apply, but I'd talk to people, network like I did, and everybody was like, hey, I love you, JP. So everybody would take a coffee with me at all those funds. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the, the the big problem is they'd all take coffees, but nobody had a job for me. <laughs> so that was quite, 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 quite annoying. Um, and that's when I, mild panic. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm married, so luckily at the time my wife was also working, so that, that was okay. good. Yeah. Um, and then I just got really lucky when everybody had, almost my entire program had secured some sort of internship, except for like a few other kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I got my internship offer in uh, two months before the summer started, or a month, a month actually, a month before the program started. Um, so I got really lucky, uh, and that was by an alumni of the school uh, who basically was like, "Well, listen, I'll sure. Uh, why don't you come and intern with us? Uh, we've got a, a spare desk. Um, we could use some of your language skills. Uh, I like you. I'll give you a chance." Uh, and that was, I think, that was quite lucky because most people I know didn't get that chance. So, like, he was willing to take a shot on you with no previous experience. He just liked you. Exactly. And it was just through the, long... the other thing is he, yeah. he also had the same background as me uh, when I think about it. He actually used to work in trading, in FX trading for Got a few it. years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he kind of knew the rigor I went through. Yeah. And he, again, he, he was much older. So he, he was at a time when you could, you didn't have that many people in real estate, uh, private equity. So he transitioned to it. Yeah, and so uh, you had moved back to London at this point to look for the internship near the end of your like. What happened? Did you were you looking while you're still in the U.S. in your MBA program? Yeah, so that, that was tough. So basically, when everybody goes on spring break and everything, I actually go back to London to uh, to go and try to meet people and get an interview. Yeah, because my wife was in London, uh, didn't like the U.S. very much, so she was like, "Get a job in London." So I wasn't mm-hmm. looking in the U.S., which made it even harder for me yeah. because I wasn't. I couldn't just go to New York mm-hmm. and be like, "Hey." Yeah. Can I meet with you and have a coffee? Um, but in a way, because I had multiple language skills, I think actually looking for a job in uh, in Europe was a bit, might have been, I don't know, but could have been a bit easier yep. uh, because they value that a lot more. Uh, whereas in the U.S., it's like, well, everybody speaks American. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be working in the U.S. market. Um, Makes what's, sense. What's your edge? We don't really need you to speak all those languages. Right. Okay, so you're you you managed to last second like during spring break. Did you get the offer like for that <laughs> no, summer no, no, after, after, after so spring break? It, it only, it only so it was and last second. I, yeah, a, a month later, the guy came back and I was chasing with email. Then he's like, "Oh yeah, actually, we, we can take you on. Oh my oh, gosh. I'll create a little position for you." Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, so so that relief. was a relief. And he so he, he didn't pretty fucking happy about it. Did he pay you at all <laughs> in the summer or? Yeah, I got I got not not a lot, but I got enough to uh, to. Uh, I still had my flat in in London as well, so mm-hmm. it was enough that I wasn't actually losing money over the summer, which is good. That's good. So tell me how yeah. that how did that internship change everything for your second year? Well, the problem with that is because the um, at the end of that internship there was no full time job, uh, simply by uh, virtue of them reorganizing the whole company. Okay. Um, I'm not going to go into detail because then it's a bit of a giveaway yep. to the internship it was with. That's fine. But essentially, people weren't sure that whether they'd have a job <laughs> uh, when mm-hmm. I'd be done with the MBA. So my boss simply said, listen, I don't know if I'll have a job uh, when you are out of uh, your MBA, let alone right. you having a job. Right. So um, that was back to square one, which was a bit shit because, um, you know, usually you expect getting a full-time job after your internship. 
Yeah, and they can enjoy your second year at an NBA. Exactly. So I didn't really do that. Uh, there, from day one, then it was like, okay, I'm gonna hit uh, hit the um, hit the road, and again using the exact same uh, method I did earlier, just coffees with every single person and anybody who's anybody in the world. Uh, you're still trying uh, to get a full time so, offer in London post MBA, and you're in the US still. So you're going back. Yeah, you have to so go back on a campus, or were you, what, while you were doing the internship in London, holidays, in the holiday. holiday. Yeah, so during the holiday, that, that was good. The guy I was working with, he basically told me mid uh, internship, "Hey, like, there's nothing for you, so just make sure that I'll give you all the time you need to meet with people." So okay, I, I so got to meet summer. a lot of people. Okay, in the summer, but it's, you not, it's not, yep. not during that time that I secured it, mm-hmm. but I did meet somebody during that um, during that time. Then I came back over Christmas. Again, meeting a lot of people, mm-hmm. uh, and then after this, um, so not, not to go into too much details, but long story short, uh, toward the end of the NBA year, mm-hmm. somebody I had met, sent, I, I reached out to them because I kept on following up with people, and he's like, actually, we have an opening. This mm-hmm. guy just left. Uh, come over to interview. Interviewed, got the job. Uh, but the job they gave me was a... Uh, uh, not not a full time contract. It was a uh, four month uh, a four month contract. Oh, like, hey, we'll just see how you work out, oh. and if you work out, we'll give you a full time job. No stress. So, so you graduate, so, <laughs> and I'm basically an intern on graduation. Got it. So tell me <laughs> well, what. Tell me how a well paid intern. So at least they had the decency of paying me well. Uh, it was it wasn't really an internship program, but more like a fixed uh, term contract. Literally, that's what it was. So you're well paid, but you're still taking a pay cut based on what you were making previously as a head of. Oh, completely, head yeah. Of but that, that I would have gotten a pay cut no matter what, right? Uh, because they they ended up offering me the, the full time job. Obviously, I'm I impressed them. They gave me the full time job. How did you uh, impress them salary, with no? I was ex- getting was how much did you, lower. How did you impress them with almost no experience in like financial modeling or any of that real estate stuff? How did you? passion passion and a lot of it yeah. <laughs> so like <laughs> you know it, it, tell me about that what really did you do day to day funny because most people well it's like most people do it for money or god knows what and then you have to show passion about an asset class and i actually did love real estate and i was telling the guys exactly what i was doing with my real estate how i loved uh the break the mortar um and i think i had to be even better than the other guys to be able to uh to get that job mm. uh the financial modeling it goes without saying uh, i mean I need to know how to do one, and uh, that was quite hard because I had never really done one uh, except during my internship. Mm-hmm. But during my internship, I made I made sure to learn how to do that. During the school year, I would actually go out of my way to learn how to model, deconstruct model. I think the best way to learn how to model is you take an existing model and you just recreate it. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I mean, every junior I had, that's always what I told them to do. Got it. Uh, and best way to learn. Uh, obviously, you need to learn the basics, so like take a few classes first. Yeah. <laughs> on what Excel is, yeah. uh, but then to really drive drive, drive it uh, home, you need to basically deconstruct somebody else's model. Got it. So you kind of hit the ground running four months. Um, yeah. Where did you? Were there other very, interns very that were that were you were competing with where that didn't get the offer? What, what, was there what? No, there was the, no. It was just me at that time. Okay. Uh, it okay. was. And they they just basically made that uh, that that temporary job for me uh, to try me out. Got it. Um, and it worked out. But again, it was a mega fund because the and that's that's a big difference. Small funds do not have the resources and the time to train you. This had to be a big fund yeah. uh, because then they can take 
they have enough people and, and spare capacity to spend a bit more time with you. Uh, and that was clear. Both funds I ended up the internship and the full-time one, both funds were very large funds. Large funds, got it. So it wasn't like if you were yeah. a little bit of a dead weight at first, it wasn't a big deal. But didn't you feel like you couldn't be that with the four-month kind of trial there, that internship? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was quite quite confident in my skills. Uh, and, and what were the hours? What were the hours you were putting in during that internship and then kind of the, the you ended up working there for a couple of years, but what was it like there? Yeah, I mean, I was... I was working a, a lot more during my internship than I was when I got the full time. <laughs> so like 70 hours or 80 hours down to like 60? Yeah, I mean, I always have dinner in the office, but I think I think that's another bit of a fallacy as well. And that was quite interesting because most of my mates work in M&A uh, mm-hmm. and um, they always told me how, how long the hours are, how awful it is. Now I got to experience it myself. And I saw like, yeah, people did long hours. But it's because most people are single, they get free dinner at like <laughs> eight, and they get a free taxi ride at nine. That's why they're staying that long. That long. Most right. of the time, they don't actually have to be there. Yeah, sure. When you have a live deal on, you're gonna pull like really shitty hours. Yeah. But most of the time, I was I was home at seven most of the time, except when I had like something like yeah, uh, when, when something big was going on, and that that did happen like maybe once a month or like twice a month, yeah. where I had really to put in the hours. But yeah. most of the time, you know. You, Get, get to work at nine on time and just work hard throughout the day and get out at seven. Fair. So you worked there for a couple of years. Why change? It sounds like it's kind of your dream job. What's why? I thought it, I thought it was. Uh, and, you know, you put yourself into this, this, you put this goal into your head, not really knowing what it was. Mm-hmm. And then I did it. Uh, I got quite disappointed about a bit the industry, the way it works. Um, and especially at the moment where I was, it was, so if I had stayed, I would have started getting some carry, I think, from um, next year. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I'm getting carry in a fund that's just been raised in 2018. Uh, I saw the investments we could do. It wasn't very sexy. Like, the market is quite toppy. Yeah. So I realized if I was going to do another five years there, the whole carrot and the money is in the carry. It's not in the bonus. It's not in the salary. It's the carry. Because the, the, boni- the, salary, the, salary the salary and the bonus, you're making, what, 300 at this point? 350? Yeah, do- dollars. Yeah. Yeah, USD. So yeah, it's still good money, but it's um, the real big upside is the carry. You're saying 2018 raising the fund. It's it's not the it's not the best time to be putting money to work. It, it's <laughs> not, and I'm yeah. gonna be working like an idiot as well for very long hours with not much upside. So yeah, had it been two, 2012, 2011, I'd be like, yeah, I'll I'll do that, no problem. Yeah. But here we feel so so toppy. I was like, well, that's probably not the right time to to be doing this and to put it on shit hours. Yeah. Um. So I kind of reflected a bit. I'm like, well, at the moment, uh, so I'm looking at my own opportunities. Uh, so I've I've picked up a few a few contract jobs, uh, purely more on, on an entrepreneurial basis. I mean, I'm I'm remodeling a house for crying out loud for somebody in like a very rich neighborhood. <laughs> uh, so you're but, doing you know, more residential, kind of your own one-off projects, like actual real yeah, getting exactly. your hands dirty. Yeah, so, yeah. So I, I, I built equity and yeah. I'm having a bit of fun. Uh, I think that that's the other thing is when you work those jobs, you don't really have a lot of time to uh, rebalance your portfolios and and do all those very important things. Yeah, basically taking care of your own money. Yeah. Um, and you know that, that portfolio, I, I've grown it a lot and I still managed to take care of it. But then you know when you leave the job, I had proper amount of time to like really refocus everything. Mm-hmm. Um, take take care of any. Uh, w- w- work with the tenants, uh, increase the rent, all that type of stuff. Then I picked up like a few. I'm doing that. I'm doing that for friends and families as well. So I'm, I'm helping mainly friends and families. 
<laughs> but I'm just basically taking the swap and putting them on the market to rent. Uh, you, so you're, you're, a property ma- you're a property manager. It was a side hustle. It's kind of become your full-time thing, at least now, while you're kind of it's looking exactly. for other deals. It was, it was my side hustle. I always had been, always kind of like put it together, which is also why I didn't feel like, oh, shit, I'm out of a job. Uh, what am I going to do? I'm tied to this desk. I can never leave. You always had some and cash flow coming left, in. Yeah. Exactly. I had the cash. And, and you have to remember, my, my wife doesn't work. I have two kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not it's not an easy decision, but that side hustle really really helped. Yeah. So today I'm not making money, but I'm not losing money. Right. Uh, which is a good position to be in when I'm trying to like Establish do the next big thing. Yeah, uh, that's amazing. Which you know it might happen, it might not happen. Who knows? Maybe like a, a tiny little. I'd be I'd be open to join like a a tiny little team of entrepreneurial guys in a small fund or something like that. Yeah. But tell me a little bit about. I can keep, Tell me a little bit about the um, the actual like deals you have for friends and family. Is this something where like you manage all of the everything um, from everything from like the tenants, the rents, the collecting the checks to um, and you take like a percentage of the exactly. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you just, what is you it? Twenty percent? Twenty percent? So essentially, eight, uh, I take very low. I take eight percent. That's really low. Yeah. Eight. Well, okay. Yeah. So I'm I'm very aggressive compared to the market. Um, mm-hmm. I can do it because, and you have to also remember that rents are quite high in London. Yeah. So eight percent is eight percent of a bigger check. Right. Um, so it's like if you were to take eight percent of rental fee in New York, that that would be a nice check. Yeah. It's a big city. Yeah. Uh, it's it's good enough. Yeah, that's interesting. And have you used like are you using technology to like systematize it at all? It's just interesting to me. Like, um, uh, so I, I don't have that. I don't have that many plots. Uh, much yeah. To not. Yeah, I mean the one thing I do that now you have like some online platforms that allow so all my ads on on this online platform. So whenever I need to relist, hmm. it literally is a click. You pay a fee and it goes on all the uh, that's awesome. all the listing platforms. That's awesome. Uh, in in terms of management, so I'm quite good in terms of uh, there's some regulation you have to do. So I have like calendar reminders of when I need to like check the the gas safety shit and got it. And then at the end of the day, you don't have that much things going on. It's more like when something happens, it's a pain in the ass to deal with. But if you're not able to it, like knock on wood, but usually I have like maybe like one intervention per flat per year, mm. if I'm not lucky to. <laughs> so it really is like passive income. The painful bit is to find a tenant. And then when it comes to resolving it, I've got my builders, I've got my network of people that can do the job. And that's mainly why my friends prefer to give it to me because they know that I'm going to get screwed on the on the work. Uh, right. when it, because I, I've got people who can do it for cheap. As mm-hmm. opposed to somebody they don't know, and it was just going to take a arm and a leg, basically. Right. Um, it's shocking what people charge. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's quite it's, it's quite an easy an easy offering, thanks to like the to the internet today. It's very easy to list your flat. You don't actually need an agent. It costs me virtually nothing to to list. Yeah. And I'll get I'll be able to to show the flats. But again, because I'm I'm doing it on a small scale, not on a big scale. Like I limit myself to like um, how many? Where you have, I like live five flats or something? How many do you do? Sorry, sorry? How many flats are you managing? Five or four? Uh, no, so we have eleven now. Eleven. Uh, oh, it's up there. Yeah. So some of them are, are ours. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite a lot of them are ours, but mm-hmm. um, so it was just it was quite a natural thing to do in that. A friend of mine moved out of London and like didn't want to sell his flat because of Brexit. So I was like, listen, I'll just do it for you. Yeah. Then he liked the way I did it. He told another friend who was like, hey, can you do it for me? I was like, sure. <laughs> then he was like, I, I didn't pitch any of the business. That's awesome. Uh, and I'm sure if I did, I'd get a lot more flats. But the idea is I don't want to grow this business. This is more like a sustainable, kind right. of like live and sustain business. Right. And I want to I wanna go hunt the big kahunis. 
mm-hmm. I want I want one of those big deals, basically finding like a a, a big um, asset that needs a lot of operational work to do it. Find an equity source on it and like a like a distressed pro- like a distressed deal. property. Get the investors together, um, do the renos, whatever needs to be done to to refurbish it, and then put flip it completely. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what we did in. Uh, in the big fund I was in, we'd be backing, those guys would be coming in mm-hmm. with those opportunities and we'd be like, yeah, sure, we like the opportunity. Here we go, here's the money, go run it. And the guys would be running it. And yep. then at the end of five, six years, they're the one walking out with like a $10 million check in the bucket. Right. It's just hard to find. It's just hard to find them. Yeah, it's just hard to find the deals right now because the valuations are exactly, so Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But I think, you know, if, uh, and that's what I mentioned, is like I, I'm giving myself a bit of time to find something like that. Mm-hmm. It, it's very, very hard to do, so I, I'm not really counting on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if in a year's time it hasn't materialized, yeah, maybe I'll think of doing something else. But in the, at the moment, I'm fun, man. keeping myself busy. It sounds fun. I've, I've, I've picked up a uh, constru- some construction for like a, a client, but I'm also going to be redoing some of my houses, adding floors, uh, yeah. all sorts of things, basically, to try and monetize my portfolio and just mix it up, I think, because the easiest thing to do is uh, to finance yourself and not to look for equity financing. So yeah. <laughs> I can do it on my own on a small scale. You know, it grows little by little. It's just, it's patience. Uh, I'm not yeah. going to be a billionaire tomorrow, but yeah, one we'll, day. We'll, we'll get that patience. <laughs> Great. Well, anything else you'd like to, before we call it, anything else you'd like to share with the community before uh, we call it? Anything to your younger self, um, anything you would have changed in your path? I mean, it's a really interesting path. Yeah, no, so I think uh, on that one, to, 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 my, to my younger self, um, so I'm, I'm quite, quite, quite happy with uh, the way things have turned out. Um, there's one thing I'm particularly happy I did is in the bulls bracket firm, in the first job I had, you have to remember I was right after leaving, everyone was getting fired. It was just the most brutal environment, working environment I had ever been, and I wanted to quit every single day. Mm-hmm. Had I quit that first year, I wouldn't be where I am today. Um, so it's, I was being insulted, treated like complete shit. I, it was, it was awful. I mean, senior people were trying to take my clients, even though I had tiny clients. They were trying to take your um, job, I assume, trying to save their own seat. Right. Exactly. Because at the time, you know, like every big client is, is, is basically collapsing. Yep. So their clients are dying. They're just trying to fight for whatever they can. In a bull market, they don't care about the small clients. They'll pass them on to the juniors. Right. This, everybody was just looking for whatever money they could make. Mm-hmm. So I was find, fighting with MDs on the floor, with directors, with VPs uh, for business. It was really hard. And again, being insulted by the trader on a constant basis. So a very demoralizing time. Uh, and there's, you know, almost every week I was wondering whether I was going to quit. Um, but I stuck it out. And I think the, the the most important thing I can say is just like, I mean, stick it, stick it out basically in that job. Uh, for the first two, three years, yeah. And then maybe quit and do something else. But at least you have something to show in your CV that you actually have done it two, three years. That you could survive I think that's the gauntlet. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. It, it means a lot, right? Because people can see, okay, the guy has actually done two, three years in the BD. Yep. Good on him. He can probably do something else. And if you want a more relaxed job, you'll get it. But you'll get paid well in a relaxed job. Mm-hmm. Probably not as well as banking, but people are not going to question your ability to like be able to survive a good job. For sure. Great. Well, I think we'll, we'll end it there. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to share all your wisdom. No worries, Patrick. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. And until next time.